2 and reading the entire chapter, Matthew chapter 2. Okay? So, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And, having been warned in their dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. Well, good morning, everybody. As as uh, you will all be familiar with Mike Hook, I'm sure, and you'll all remember his little ponytail. I'm sure about that. 
you have a name, they call this church the Milky Coffee Church. I don't know if you know that, that's, that's the nickname for this church. So. Now, I do wander around when I preach, so I'm probably not going to stand here. And there is another reason I won't stand here. Last Christmas Day, I was preaching, and I was looking at everybody, and I had a great message, I thought, anyway, but everybody was looking a different part of the building and I didn't understand what was going on. When I took notice of where they were looking, the advent reef had set on fire. <laughs> so I'm slightly scared of those, these things. They're great, but just, just watch that one on Christmas Day. That's got potential. So I know you've got a health and safety rep, is it Marilyn up there? You, you can watch that candle. Now, we're going to delve into this story. But I want to start by saying yesterday, this week I've been very ill. Has anybody else been ill this week? Yes, flattened by some kind of strange sickness that won't leave me. Now, I live in St. Anne's house, which is a big community house. Mike and Mary live there. And there's a few individuals that live in the house. Now, yesterday I was locked up. and They banished me to the loft, so I was up in the loft... I had a quilt cover over me, and I, sorry to be so coarse here, but I needed the toilet. But, as I turned around, I realised there's a problem with my living room door, in that the inside doorknob has fallen off. What I usually have is a pair of pliers, and I use the pliers to be able to uh, find my way out. And yesterday, at some point, I'd put these pliers in the kitchen, come back in the front room and shut the door. So I was in a very desperate situation. So I rang people in the house, but they'd all gone out. So I was just stuck. And of course, I prayed and God gave me the power to somehow open this door. Now, the reason I tell that story is often, I think... As Christians, we can lose the big picture of the fact that we are called into something called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the primary vision that Jesus had, not the church. It was the kingdom of God. Now, what tends to happen, and it's a danger for me as a minister in training, is that my life could become all about the four walls of a church. And I'll never ever find the doorknob to get out of the church and into this thing called the kingdom of God. And preachers come along and prophets come along and what they try to do is to say, we need to get out. Now the problem is the church is full of brilliant people, full of wonderful people. But when we all get stuck in a room together, (laughs) we start to fight Or we think we just need to maintain what we've got. And actually what preaching should do is it should help us to locate the doorknob so that we can actually get out and spread the message of the kingdom. Now I went to a church recently and I like going to different churches and it was a very small church and I left that church And this might sound like an awful thing for a preacher to say. And my conclusion was everybody in that church needed 
to backslide. Because it was so insular. It was unreal. There was, a, there was a life there, but it was contrived. And I wondered, has anybody actually suffered here? Has anybody had a problem? <laughs> has anybody ever got out? Has anybody ever got the fingers burnt? So I hope today, as I unpack this passage with you, I'll give you some sort of little clues about how we can do things differently. Uh, I said at the beginning, when I was talking to the saxophone player, I'm a bit of an improviser, but I want to look at four things this morning. So, we've read a very familiar passage, and it's where we get these wise men, and they come to Jerusalem, and they're looking for a king, and they're following a star, and it's, it's a little bit bizarre. And then we get Herod catching wind of this, and then he wants some information, but he's got a different agenda. Then we get almost a picture of genocide going on, or the wiping out of a whole generation. And then we also get some interesting divine interventions where God seems to speak to these wise men, and he speaks to Joseph. Now, why is this story important? Well, Herod is tasked with looking after a particular piece of land or lands with different people in. And so he's got a lot of Jewish people, and perhaps Jewish people had a bit of a reputation for wanting things their own way, wanting their own land, maybe there were similar intentions. But also these wise men arrived. Now, people don't really know the identity of this, these wise men, but because they're following a star, it's likely that they were astrologers, and therefore it's likely that they were Persians. And Persians were troubling people for the Romans. So you can understand that when they turn up and they're looking for a saviour, Herod is going to get a little bit tense. I mean, they've come with a load of gifts as well. And if you're Herod, and you've got to make sure that the peace of Rome is in, in the area that's been devolved to you, you've got the Persians coming to look for a king with a load of gifts, you're going to think they might be trying to get some vested interest in this king when he comes to power. Because the Persians didn't like the Romans, and of course, the Jewish people didn't like the Romans. We can't blame Herod for wanting to control things. But we've got two types of people in the narrative. We've got truth seekers who are following a star and we've got a controller, which is Herod. Now, as the story plays out, Herod is frightened of what could happen if this saviour is found and thrives. That's the reason he decides that he's going to kill a whole generation. If he gets rid of all the children at a certain age, it's likely he's going to stamp out this possible usurper. So he goes after the children. So in the story what we have is also sufferers. We have women who are losing their children 
who are weeping. So that's three people. We've got truth seekers, the wise men, controllers, Herod. We've got sufferers, which are the mothers of these children. And finally, we've got hearers. Because in this story, in the midst of all this pain and suffering, God still speaks. He speaks to Joseph. He speaks to the wise men. And Joseph and the wise men are not just hearers, they're also doers. Because Joseph listens and he takes the baby Jesus or the young child Jesus out to Egypt. And he flees. Now, the elements in these this story is interesting for me as a trainee minister. Because I'm going to talk about power a little bit. And I hate doing this. Sometimes I feel like I'm quite serious when, when I preach about these things. But power is a big problem in the world. And it is a big problem in the church. Now Herod was a man of power. And actually when he was usurped, when he felt he'd been tricked by these wise men, he was infuriated. So much so that his control spilled out to outright abuse. He decided to kill children. The most defenceless individuals at the time. Power that's affronted usually reacts with abuse. So we've got four characters represented. Wise men are the truth seekers. Herod is the controller. We've got those that are caught up in this fight between spiritual seeking and control, which is the mothers that are suffering the pain of the children being taken from them. And we've got hearers. Now, if I ever told you my story, I don't really, I don't mess about anymore because I spent many, many years messing about with my life and it's just not worth it. If the good news is the good news, then it's not worth messing about, is it, and playing games. We, we need to tell the truth to one another. We need to ask ourselves questions when we read the Bible. What does this mean for me now? And what am I supposed to do with this? So I have four questions I want to ask this morning. Are you the wise men? Now, the wise men are very interesting because the following the star, the seeking the saviour, probably in all the wrong ways as well, because I think for Jewish people to be astrologers and kind of claiming that you've got some kind of intuitive knowledge, is, it's, it's a bit written off. But people who are hungry for truth might be slightly unconventional to us. They might not fit our profile. You might be sat here this morning as a spiritual seeker. You don't quite feel you fit, but you know that there's something in this story of Jesus that could be true for you. You're searching for a saviour. You're searching for life. And I would encourage you this morning, even though there is risk attached to seeking truth, pursue and seek truth. 
Now I work with asylum seekers and refugees, it's a big part of what I do, and I encourage them all, ask questions. Now I was brought up a bit more evangelical, charismatic, which is seek answers. But actually, I think we should ask questions. The problem is, when we just get answers, is we stop growing. The mystery disappears from faith when we just stop with pure answers. Always question. So you might be a wise man or a wise woman today. And the Bible says, seek and you will find. So even though your questions may entice opposition, ask those questions. As that is where God is found. Now you will get answers, but always question. Now, you might be a wise man, or a wise woman, or a wise young person, but this is the bad part. You might be a Herod. Are you a Herod? Now, I've been surprised for the last year as a minister in training to realise the amount of people in church that want power and not the right kind of power, control power. Now there's something about order that's okay and as a minister, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not fully qualified yet, I'm obviously training, but working with my minister John, there's a, there's a sense in which we have to ensure that there is order and control, of course. But we have to do that with a servant heart, with a loving heart. But what I found is that people that don't have a loving servant heart and want power are usually the ones who will ultimately destroy churches. Or if not, what they might do is they might be the ones who pull the handle off the inside of the door and keep it for themselves. And not let anybody else out. Not let anybody else grow. You see, sometimes when we get comfortable, spiritual seekers threaten us. The idea that there might be something more becomes a problem for us. Sometimes ministers can get in the way of God moving simply because they want everything their way. But I have to say, members of leadership teams can be like this. Deacons can be like this. Elders can be like this. And actually, normal congregants can be like this as well. You see, we have to be careful We say God is powerful, and he is powerful, but God is love. So whenever God chooses to use power, it's motivated by love. Now studying at Luther King House, I came across a brilliant concept about power, about two types of power that we can use. One type of power is called power over 
And the other type of power is called power with. And there's a difference between the two, but both use power. So the first type of power is if you've got a child and they run into the road and there's a car coming, you will use your power over them to restrain them and pull them back into line. And that's an entirely appropriate use of power. Power with might be when you're working with teenagers and you can't use power over with them anymore. So what you do is you share life together or you help, you empower them to make their own choices. You somehow devolve your own power or share it with them. I think at Christmas time, the message of Jesus is God actually comes alongside us. He actually shares power with us so that we become what he has created us to be. Herod was a power over kind of character. And unfortunately, there are many, many people in this world that like power over. It's a very egotistical thing. To relinquish and let go of power is difficult. Now, in the church, there's also the grievers, the sufferers. Like in the story, the fallout between truth and power was abuse of the innocent. You find many times in churches people who are just so discouraged because they're caught in the middle of this power tussle and their dreams are completely dead. And I don't know if you're sat here today and you are a sufferer or you've just got sick and tired of seeing the power play or you just think, oh, I just it's not worth seeking the truth anymore for the hassle that it causes. You see, the fact is, many people sit in churches completely discouraged. They know that there's more, but they've seen so much conflict that they're just not up for it anymore. It's always greatly concerning for me, there is more. There's more of God for everybody in this room. There's more of God for me. But sometimes we give up on that because of the cost and the hassle. Perhaps because we ourselves have been abused. We had a vision once. We had a dream once for the church. And when we shared it, we encountered somebody that liked power more than vision. And they shut us down and they crushed us. And the dream is gone. And so just like the grieving mothers in this story, our children, our dreams and our visions have been sabotaged by power. The good news at this Christmas time is that God comes to us with comfort comfort, and with strength. He comes to restore that which has been lost. He comes to bring to life that which may be dead and we must look and watch out for how God might move in this season the last people we said were in this narrative were the hearers so in a dream the wise men are warned to flee not to tell Herod about where the child is 
And then there's a dream for Joseph as well. And Joseph acts on that dream. So I want to ask, are you Joseph this morning? Are you willing to listen to what God wants to say to you? You see, it's interesting that when God speaks to Joseph, he tells him to move. And I'm not suggesting that you all leave this church. But actually, when God speaks to us, often the cost is that we've got to do something different. We've got to move. But in the act of moving for Joseph, Christ is protected in some sense. What God gives is allowed to grow and thrive And if we are willing to listen to what God would say, then what he trusts us with will not be sabotaged, but rather it will grow. The kingdom of God will begin to grow amongst us. So if God says to us, there's the door, there's the handle on the floor, put it back on and go out. You've got to change, you've got to do something different, haven't you? I heard a saying recently that, what did it say? If you, if you always do things in the same way, you'll get the same results. You've got to do things differently to get different results. Now I could sit here because I'm a bit of a lamenter at, at this moment in time because I want the church to be growing and thriving. I want the kingdom of God to be fully realised through the church and outside of the church. But we've got too many people either clinging to power or sat in discouragement And we need the courage to listen again. We need the courage to say, Holy Spirit, what is the word for this time and season? For my life, for our lives. I said at the beginning, I work in a church that's full of Iranians. So that's that's quite relevant because the wise men possibly were from Iran, modern day Iran, they were Persians. And it's messed our church up a little bit. Because there are people who believe the church is theirs. And that's a power thing, you see. The church is mine, this is my church. And some weird people have entered my church. (laughs) And they've stirred up my church. And now they're getting all the attention. God actually has sent to Haywood Baptist Church a group of people and he's given us a task to do. And he said, will you listen to me? And will you you move in this direction with this group of people? Now some people won't. (coughs) Some people do (coughs) resist or drag their feet. But the Holy Spirit is saying to my my particular fellowship this is what I've sent to you this is what's in front of you now get on with it and of course I think to do that is protecting the call of God in some sense now we're not the ones that are the guardians of God he can very much do whatever he likes But there's something about getting on board with what God is saying that gives the Holy Spirit the the capacity to increase the kingdom. So we're not growing indigenously. 
We're growing with Iranians. And the future of our church is going to be secured by them. I'm totally convinced. They're natural evangelists. They're hospitable. They're absolutely shaming us as a congregation in the way that they love and look after each other. They are the future. And the problem is, if half of our congregation won't open their eyes to see what God is telling them through them, then that half is going to die. If that half is still in offence because their power is being taken from them, they're going to die. And if they don't die, they're going to sabotage whatever God wants to do amongst us. Now, that sounds depressing. I've got much more hope than that within our particular fellowship. But there's always a problem when God moves. People get hungry for truth. People's feathers get ruffled because questions are being asked. People might get abused in all of that if we don't handle power properly. But at the same time, there might be people who hear and obey and change the course of the future of our churches. So please hear my heart today. I long that we would be wise people. We'd be questioning people. We'd be silly people following a star. I pray we wouldn't be like Herod. We wouldn't be threatened by change, by questions. We wouldn't seek to control and squash these voices, but rather be illuminated by the rich diversity of what God brings amongst us. I pray that if you are in a sense suffering today because of a lot of fallout between power and truth, that you will receive comfort. But I think I pray most of all that you will be like Joseph. That you will listen to what God is saying. You will act upon it and you will see the results, the fruit that God has ordained for this church. So Advent season, watch, listen, reflect and make it your aim to follow the way of Jesus Christ. Amen.